This is John Goldman. You're listening to Johnny's Secret Stash on Radio Harbor Country. That's WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan, and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. And Johnny's Secret Stash is underwritten by Harbor Country Hydroponics out of New Buffalo, Michigan, for everything you need to grow your own secret stash. We are fortunate enough to have May Erline from Grand Rapids, Michigan, joining us. She'll be joining us by telephone. And uh, that was a little piece of her song from the album Second Sight. The song is called New Morning. And before we get a chance to talk with May, I'm going to play another one of her songs from this album. And uh, actually, this album was just released in uh, 2019, very recent release. So hopefully we'll get to hear her talk about the album too. Here we go with Here We Are from Second Sight, May Earlwine on Johnny's Secret Stash.
struck a chord and now I'm waiting on the band And you know silence has a very heavy hand Here I am album second sight that 2019 album that just came out and getting ready to talk to may Irwin on the phone i'm here with may early wine and uh really terrific having you on the show may is a singer songwriter uh from michigan and uh, she recently came out with an album second sight uh one of is that about is this your eighth album that you've come out with um i think it's something like my Twelve, maybe. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> I have a lot of them. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh yeah. Well, no, it's a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, you're playing at the livery. This is we're recording this uh, on Sunday the fifteenth, uh, but you are actually playing at the livery on the, tonight the twentieth. This is uh, it's airing on the afternoon of the twentieth, and uh, you're actually playing at the livery on the twentieth. Tell us a little bit about uh, what to expect at that show. Who are you going to be playing with, and uh, what what are the details of the show? Yeah, well, we're really looking forward to that night at the livery. Um, it's the band, The Motivations, which is unlike most of, of what I do. Uh, the majority of the time, I'm, I'm a singer songwriter doing um, pretty feely uh, folk and Americana oriented music. Uh, but the motivations uh, every once in a while we come out and we throw dance parties and i like to call it like a retro groove boogie band and it's mostly covers that we do maybe like a third of original material that i write for the band um, but the whole point is to get people out in the community um, dancing and singing and just having a wonderful time uh, together and so the motivations is a really big band it's a nine-piece band and it features um, Joe Hedinga and Mike Lynch on keys, uh, Michael Shimon on the drums, Max Lockwood on bass, Phil Berry and Eric Kuhn on guitars. And then it features Terrence Massey and Brandon Proach on horns. And so it's a really big band. It's so much fun. These gentlemen are all just so talented. And I just sing and dance and kind of am the host of the evening. And so... Uh, it'll be a really fun time. That sounds wonderful. What a fun, funky kind of uh, setup that's going to be. Have uh, How often do you get to play as Mayor Early Wine and the Motivations? Well, you know, it started, um, let's see, I think December 
of 2016. Um, everybody was just having a hard time feeling connected and was feeling some discouragement, especially with the political atmosphere. So I kind of wanted to give people a reason to come out and feel community without necessarily the, the traditional context or any sort of like certain holiday or, or certain expectation, but just to come out and have a good time. And so um, we do it every year during the holidays now, for sure. December, we usually like the the second and third weekend, we do tour the state and host these dance parties. Um, but people have started hiring us for festivals, uh, dance parties in the summer. So we play a little bit in the summertime and um, sometimes weddings, but it's just once in a while. Fun. That sounds great. And uh, Max Lockwood has been on the show before, and I think he was at the livery himself just uh, last week or the week before. So um, it'll be a pleasure to see him, too, um, back at the livery like that. Uh, yeah, he's got his uh, tribute band, uh, the Insiders, Tom Petty Tribute, and they were just there. And actually, the Insiders, his band, uh, has a lot of the same members as the Motivations, and it's also just an amazing good time. Oh, good. So everyone's pretty comfortable playing together and knows what to expect with each other and... Uh, you mentioned that you guys play a lot of covers. What sort of genre of covers do you guys play during your motivations shows? Well, the the whole like core purpose of the thing is dancing. So I try to pick songs that are really fun to dance to. Um, the first year we did a lot of really throwback retro, like classic soul stuff. Um, and then we sort of started branching into more like of funky Motown stuff. And then in the last couple of years, I've been incorporating like 80s and 90s dance music too. Um, so it's really like a lot of just like classic songs that people love to sing and dance to. We do some more like um, contemporary stuff from our, our friends at Wolfpack. Um, but most of it is older stuff uh, from the 50s to the 90s. Your friends from Wolf Wolfpack, they're um, a pretty well-known uh festival scene funk band uh, they're they're yeah. terrific yeah that's yeah that's nice that you have that relationship with them what uh, yeah. where did uh, where did you first become interested in music what kind of music um, were you listening to when you were growing up well i was raised in a family where music was a, a big centerpiece of the way that we experienced life and so Music was just there always. Um, my dad uh, was a musician in the 60s, and my mom is just like a great appreciator of music and loves to sing. And um, and so the arts and music were just like a very important part of, of my family, similar to like food. It was just something that was necessary and important and that we celebrated. So I don't really feel like I had a marking moment of, of getting into music. It was just it was a, a done deal. <laughs> you yeah. were going to be a musician. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't even know if I was going to be a musician, but I, music was part of everything. And yeah. so um, I, I, as soon as, like as far back as I can remember, I just was singing all the time and um, kind of play and create these little like crazy operas with my toys. And so I was, I was just into you know, making sounds and creating from an early age. But I played piano and, and violin and stuff as a kid. I took some lessons. But when I was 11, I picked up a guitar and wrote my first song um, in a more official way. And I, that was when I really kind of struck me that there was something 
special there that I, I really enjoyed. And so I just started writing songs then and playing my songs for people then. And I've, I've been doing it ever since. Um, what kind of my, music my, did your dad play? You mentioned he was a musician. Yeah, my dad, in the when he was touring, he was in a blues band called the Prime Movers. And he played blues harmonica and sang mostly. But he also played guitar and Wurlitzer um, and piano. And so, and wrote some songs and stuff. Did, um, was, he, so was that the kind of music that you focused on early on, with that being kind of your guide for, you know, what music is supposed to look like? Or or did you, you know, some people will will take the music that they hear around their house and, and sort of reject it, but find their own musical interests through, you know, that, that existence where music is important, but you know, you make your own choices on it. How did, how did you develop your musical taste from growing up? Well, my dad um, was a, really a true music appreciator. And there was not really, like, bad or good music. There was just music that you liked maybe more or resonated with you more. Um, but his whole thing was just finding the best of every different genre and, and really just getting into... Um, to all different kinds of music. So I was really lucky and I had just all the different influences and genres you can imagine around. And a lot of the like the, the core um, bands or groups from those genres he would play. His favorite stuff was jazz and blues and soul singing. So that was a lot of what was played. Um, but he, you know, that expanded into everything really. And my mom really loved a lot of the, the folk and, and rock songwriters. Um, and so I had a really great mix as far as being a songwriter myself of influences as a kid. And my dad actually founded the All Music Guide, which is sort of a non-biased um, encyclopedia sure. of music. Yeah. And so he, that, was around, that was happening when I was like 9, 10, 11. And so there was, at least that's when it began. And so there's all these musicians coming and living at my, my dad's house and um, and that whole idea of that is that there's no bad, there's just all learning about music. Um, and so I kind of grew up with that as as the theme. And so I didn't really have to have any sort of rebellion because there was nothing really to rebel against as far as taste goes. My parents were genuinely excited if I was into music. And I remember the first record that I wanted to buy on my own, I had access to lots of music that my parents had given me, but a lot of the classic stuff, but first record I wanted to buy on my own was uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. <laughs> and I remember I was pretty young, um, even just for that title, you know, so my, <laughs> yeah. my dad, who some of his friends were like, I don't know if she should be listening to that. He said, okay, I, I want to talk to you about this record. And so he sat down with me and asked me to play him the song that I loved and what the song that made me want the record which at the time was Under the Bridge. And so we sat in his office and listened to Under the Bridge together. And there's all kinds of inappropriate stuff in this album. But he listened to the song. He said, I understand why you like this song. It's a great song here. And he gave me the CD. And he never questioned any other purchase of music I ever made. Like that was the the kind of threshold of, of becoming independent in my own musical exploration and he was supportive. He would give me money to buy records anytime I wanted to. So I, 
I feel really lucky in that I just was able to freely explore and listen to whatever. And, and my dad just could appreciate, you know, good music is good music, even if maybe it's not your favorite genre. It's like he would, he would just be happy that I was into it. That's so fortunate to have that reinforcing kind of uh, environment to be able to develop your own musical taste. Your first song yeah. you said you wrote at age 11, did you, uh, what, what kind of song was it? And, you know, how did you go about writing it? Um, you know, it was, a, it was a magical moment because I just sat down and the song showed up um and it was it was a folk song like it was very like the songs i still write like just kind of very feely heart centered um americana songwriter music um at the time i was really inspired by annie defranco and ben harper and so um it had some elements of that i'm sure in it um but it was just a really heartfelt song and and I kept writing those. And, you know, honestly, it's not super different from the songs that I write now. It's just... <laughs> it's you know, a, the I, channeling began easy. at that age. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was a special thing that I still feel. It's the same feeling when a song shows up. It's like, it's beyond me. It's like a, something I can access that is a higher or different kind of spiritual place. And... And so that relationship with that muse began at 11, and I feel lucky that I've been able to continue having that relationship. It's a really special one. You know, you mentioned the muse, and I uh, had a conversation with Paul Bolger and Mark Haig from a band called Mr. Blotto just the other day, and they talked about how they recognized that when that songwriting, um, you know, little little bug comes in, that muse uh, comes to them that you just got to grab on. You can't, you know, put it to the side and think like, oh, I'll, I'll look at this later, you know, because the muse, it might just go off and, uh, and do to somebody else, you know? So you, when, when that comes to you, you just got to take it and, and go with it and get it down and, and, uh, you know, create it right then and there. Do you find that, that you have those kinds of feelings too, when, uh, that muse arrives on your doorstep with, uh, something to help you write a song that that that's when you got to just take care of it and do it right then and there. Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, it's it's like a seed and and you have to like at least give give yourself the ability to absorb that information or that inspiration and get it down somewhere and then and then later you can kind of take it and fine tune it or whatever. But yeah, it's kind of crazy. It does just feel like this this sort of passing energy and sometimes you can reconnect with it later but a lot of times it's just it is really in the moment and um that's why I like you know I find myself frantically grabbing my phone and, and you know finding like a closet or a bathroom and just like shutting the door for a second so I can <laughs> sing, sing the melody or just jot down the sort of meat of the song of like what it is and then um Later, I can go back and, and see what it, you know, unwrap it a little more. Um, and, but I really try to honor that moment and uh, and not ignore it. And that's helpful. There's like a great quote, I think, of Tom Waits. Um, there's a great talk Elizabeth Gilbert gives on a TED Talk about trying to write her second book after her big, um, like, best-selling Eat, Pray, Love. So she's talking about her relationship with the muse. 
and there's she quotes Tom Waits where he's driving and and all of a sudden he gets this great idea for a song and he says why did you why are you doing this now can't you see I'm driving <laughs> you know and so it's like it's like that it's yeah sort of like, you know you become a servant to it, it uh, right. it's not always at the most convenient times but <laughs> yeah. you got to go with it <laughs> Excuse me, I have to pull off to the side of the road and get this down. <laughs> yeah, totally. Do and, you know, most of the time you give it five minutes. That's one of my rules. It's like, uh, I have an idea that feels like a inspired thought, and I'm just going to give it at least five minutes and and see what happens. After the... Uh you know, your introduction to the guitar and your first write, songwriting experience at 11, did you use that as uh, a way to, to, you know, interact with other people and, and uh, meet friends that had similar interests and um, start playing with other people? Yeah, some, I mean, it just became something that was part of me. Um, I got a, a guitar. My first guitar was an electric Fender Stratocaster, and right. I just started learning songs, and I would play with some people, um, but early on, I just, I really loved writing songs, and I, I really just wanted to do that, and so I just started singing them and sharing them, and my older sister, who also is an amazing songwriter, um, she was in college at the time, and so she would invite me to hang out with her and her college friends who really appreciated hearing my songs. So I would play for them and then slowly got offers to play little opening sets at coffee shops and, and just um, opportunities to share the songs. And a lot of times it was just like at a potluck or a party or at a campfire. Um, but I was getting a lot of positive feedback and people are asking, they were just so encouraging of me. So, um, and that was really nice. And, and where I grew up and where I was going to school. And, and where was that? Have, what, uh, in Big Rapids. Big Rapids, Michigan. Gotcha. And Ann Arbor, too, but mostly Big uh -huh. Rapids. And so I didn't really have a lot of people that I connected with as far as like having a band or collaborating a whole lot. I was in all the like choir and stuff, so I did a lot sure. of music in that way. But songwriting was sort of a solo venture for me. And as a teenager, a little later, I was in like a punk band for a little bit with my friends. And um, that must have been a nice release just to be able to just throw it all out there like that in a punk band. Yeah. Oh, man. It was so fun. We like we I think played one show and, and just had like rehearsals and had fun. And so it was it was great. Uh, and, and the people in that band were just some of my favorite people in the world. And so it it was a good outlet and, and just kind of fun. Um, and I was, you know, I was in that phase of just angsty, rebellious, you know, May. So it was, it was good, <laughs> yeah. uh, good for me. Uh, so that was your first band, I guess you could, could say that, that punk band, did you, uh, expand into more band work or did you, you know, go back to more of your, um, singular work where you um, would write songs and play them in small venues and things like that yeah the band just like you know like I said we didn't really play out or anything so we it kind of just fizzled because people dissipated and traveled and I actually started traveling and hitchhiking around the country at that time and so when I did that I was busking all the time so it was very like still just me and my songs or my cover songs and 
So I started performing on the street at like a lot of the time. Um, how old were you when you went on the road like that? And how did your parents feel was, about that? <laughs> <laughs> I was 16. Um, I was a really good negotiator and I kind of slowly worked my parents into saying it was okay for me to travel around. They didn't like it, but they also knew that I was probably going to do it anyways. Right. Right. They kind of, um, we had, you know, I kept in touch and, you know, they kind of knew where I was and what I was up to. And, but I'm sure they were terrified and, um, I don't know if they would do it the same way if they had another try at it, but, um, it was a really valuable experience and they both had led pretty non-traditional lives as young people. And, and so I think in some sense they wanted me to be able to explore in the way that I, I really wanted to. And did you get around through hitchhiking and, um, what other, was it, uh, I think, I, I think I saw on your website, talk about how you had gotten away at that age and, uh, hitchhiking and taking the trains and things like that. Yeah, mostly hitchhiking. I did some train hopping, too, for a little while. Um, Any inspiration from Jack Kerouac and and his whole line of of, uh, books about his travels? Did that that come into your life at that point? A lot of my friends who actually taught me how to train hop were way into that stuff. I, like, I totally have respect for Kerouac um, and his place, but I didn't personally ever resonate so much. And I think a lot of it was just a very male feeling. um, That's true, yeah. It's like kind of energy that I just had a hard time feeling connected to, but I did like the romantic traveling, you know, and, and grew up with my parents both hitchhiked at different times and like kind of had that traveling, you know, wandering, uh, moment in their lives. And so it was something that I romanticized about a lot. And I, I love stories and a, a lot of the tales of, of traveling and kind of coming to know the world through the people. And so I, I really, I think I had a natural desire to do that. How long did you um, do that traveling around? Probably like almost three years total, but I, I would come home in between and um, and go back out. So it wasn't solid the whole time, but it was did, most of the time. Did you do a lot of songwriting while you were on the road? Was that one Yeah, of the, I did. I, yeah. You know, busking and playing for people as my only way of making money, um, I feel like it was a really good training in understanding the way music connects with people um, right, right. in a really basic way. And I loved being able to change people's day, like see someone walking down the street and, and look at them and think about, Oh, what song might make them happy and, and play it and see what happens, you know? And oh, wow. Do you have about 30 seconds to a minute to impact someone? And what are you going to do with that time? Um, it's a really good exercise and I, I love it. I still love it. It's, it's a really special special thing to be able to do with music and sort of why I play music is just like that impact that it has um and it certainly has in my life music has been able to transform my feelings and like it's like alchemy or something it's just magical how it helps us get through living as as humans and like you know with feeling hearts and so busking is a really fun way to explore that on, on just like a very kind of basic nuts and bolts level and so I did a lot of that when I was hitchhiking but I also when I stopped hitchhiking I I moved to Philadelphia and lived in the city for a while and 
um, did it in the subway, and that was the way I paid my rent was playing in the morning in the subways from like 5 a.m. until 9 a.m. We're talking with May Earlwine, Earlywine from, uh, and what, and what, you're from Big Rapids, Michigan? That's where no. I'm from. I live in Traverse City. Traverse City. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, who is playing at the livery tonight with uh, the motivations? Um, and you're listening to Johnny Secret Stash. I'm John Goldman. And uh, we're on Radio Harbor Country, WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan, and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. Um, and May, you were talking about your adventures on the road when you were, well, sounds like between about 16 and 19. Uh, what a great opportunity that must have been to also gather events in your life to be able to write about. Have, have your experiences on the road, you know, gotten into your music? Yeah, um, definitely. I think, you know, it's less about, I mean, there's a lot of great stories that are hilarious and incredible and just kind of, you know, the arc of the way humans relate and move through life is pretty amazing and miraculous. But I think the, the main piece that's in my songs that I drew from that is just like a lot of um, compassion for humanity. Like I just met so many different kinds of people that bestowed a tremendous amount of kindness onto me, a stranger, you know? And so I kind of fell into these situations with people that I might never have met or talked to otherwise that had very different lives than I did or, and priorities and belief systems and so it had sort of expanded my um, sort of awareness of, of how people are living and and what they're thinking about and feeling. And, and it just made it feel bigger than it would have if I stayed in my little sort of family, friends, you know, little piece of the pie that we get when we are growing up. So I, I feel like it was a bigger view that I had because I got to meet so many people. And I, I definitely feel like that has, been threaded through my songs I, don't, I couldn't really even point out exactly how but I just I feel connected to those people um, in a special way I guess right uh, when you were talking about doing the busking in the Philadelphia um, train stations that must have led you to see sort of the same people each day and did you notice any, you know, difference in, you know, how they reacted to you on a day-to-day basis? Was that ever anything that, that kind of struck you as being interesting? Um, you know, or not. So <laughs> Philly is so big that there were only a few people that I remember that I would see that we had like a, they recognized me, I recognized them sort of like, hey, again this right. morning sort of thing. It was it was not very many because um, it's just so big and people were moving so quickly. Um, but I, there were definitely a few that got used to me being there and they would say hello. And and sometimes people would make requests and then I would bring their request the next day. And um, and yeah, and just a lot of kindness. And, and it's just such an early time in the morning for everybody going to work and, and starting their days and and so I think 
um, just that sort of, hey, I'm here too. Here we are again. It's another day. Um, it was just a special exchange, and it, it was really fun. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing about the big city. Big cities generally is that there's sort of that anonymity that you're not going to perhaps run into the same people over and over. But then the ones that you do, even if it's you know the same guy at the coffee shop or you know, like you're in one spot in the train station and, and all these people are walking by, but over and over, you know, each day you might see the same person just sort of swinging by. It kind of creates this small, uh, uh, this small community within this big universe of, of wherever you are. And you don't always have that opportunity when you're um, in a small town or something like that where you know you're going to be with the same people day in and day out. Uh, the, this creation of kind of a community in a in a much larger, busier place, um, you know, it happens in New York City all the time too. But it's uh, it, it's certainly something that um, that it sounds like that's a, a similar kind of experience as you had when you were in Philadelphia playing in the the subways of of Philadelphia. So you um, did that for a while, and then after. How long were you in Philadelphia? Number of years or just a, a short period of time? It was about a year and a half. And then did you go back to Michigan or the? Um, um, eventually, I I lived in um, outside of the suburbs of New York City for a little while. My boyfriend at the time's family lived there, and so we moved out there, and we're just kind of working with his dad and, and saving money, and then we moved back to Michigan. Um, and stay with my parents for a while, and, and we're kind of working and and saving money and stuff. Um, so yeah, it was just a little little while in Philly. I love that city. I'm not really a city dwelling person. Uh, I don't think, at least this phase of my life. But I I really think that that is one of the kindest cities. It like it is the city of brotherly love, and that's you know it's a slogan or whatever. But yeah. it really felt really welcoming. Like it felt like a community of people that cared, um, even though it was a giant place oh, um, nice. and kind of overwhelming for a little Michigan girl. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, when did you uh, put out your first album and and which one was it? How did that all come about? Uh, I'm horrible with remembering chronological All right. Yeah, years, I, it, I get that first, all the time. I do think literally, is, but not everyone does. And I always forget that. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, I don't, have a, a good memory for a lot of statistics or like it, my brain just doesn't, I guess, care very much about those numbers. So I don't hold on to it. And so I have trouble, but um, fair enough. Was, I won't, was my <laughs> I won't press you like that. And what, what, uh, and what was it? What was the one called? Sleepless. Sleepless. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And before that, actually, I made a little EP at home, but I only made very few copies. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah, Sleepless was my first record. I went and recorded it. I did it all by myself um, at a studio in Grand Rapids. And that album, actually, they I was listening to it, and I didn't feel right about it. And I called the engineer, and I said, something sounds weird, but I don't know. This is my first time making a record. And it turned out the, the preamps in their board were messed up, and so the whole thing was messed up. And so I had to re-record the album. Oh, no. Wow. And in the time it took to wait to re-record it, I wrote most of the songs that ended up on the record. 
and recorded a whole different record. So, oh man, like uh, so the way that it is, and the way that it ended up was not what it originally was going to be. It it's like uh, Neil Young's co- uh, Chrome Dreams Two. You know, <laughs> Chrome Dreams One never really got going, but Chrome Dreams Two. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you? Um, um, did you have to find a record company to distribute it? You know, what was kind of the, the whole economics of it at that stage? Um, you know, I, I didn't like, I just wanted to record the music and my, I think my parents helped me pay for the studio time and make the records. And I, I paid them back with the sales of the record. Right. Um, so that was just how that worked. I didn't have a, a label, um, I just really, I think my my parents were excited that I was making these songs and music, and, um, and so I just started playing more, and I had the, the album, and um, yeah, but definitely just DIY, just independent, same as I still am, really. Yeah. Uh, so you, how does that whole independent uh, musician? situation work when it when you're going to record you uh you find the studio you want to work with and and um and then you um take the recording and and get it pressed on cds or vinyl or whatever the medium is and make all those arrangements yeah um i mean it depends you can hire people to do any number of things if you have the budget for it so it kind of depends on but if you're if it's just you and you're you don't have a producer or or anyone then you yeah you just kind of have to organize it all you pick a studio and you pick your musicians and your engineer and um it's a really um expensive and very time consuming process to to i mean you can you can do it in other ways but in the way that i you know want to make music and put it out um, it's a, it's a very time consuming, crazy process and takes a huge amount of resources. And so it, it's a hard thing to do as an independent artist. Um, and I think people don't realize how much it takes to make a record that, that haven't ever done it before. Um, which is kind of like, it's funny now with all the streaming and music's free everywhere. Um, I think people are slowly waking up to the fact that like, if we don't pay for this, how are they going to keep making this music? Right. Um, the, the... And so, yeah, which is why crowdfunding is becoming such a huge part of making a record. Um, but yeah, the more, more budget you have, the more help you have. It's kind of how it works out. Right. Uh, so have you used crowdfunding on any of your previous albums? Yeah. Um, I've done it, gosh, a bunch of times. Um, I think I made one, two, four records from crowdfunding. So how, how my, does that work? On my from... own, and then there are mm-hmm. um, there are others that projects I've done with other people that have also been crowdfunded. Um, sorry, how what was your question? How does that generally work? Uh, I've heard of crowdfunding for various things, but I, I guess I hadn't really um, understood how it works on a in the musical world. Well, there's, there's different ways you can do it. I, a lot of times, really what you're doing is presenting this work that you want to create to your community and saying, hey, I want to make this for me album. Um, this is what it's going to be like. This is who's going to be on it. And 
do you want to support that happening with your money basically by either a just supporting it with because you believe in it or b buying um a or getting rewarded for your contribution and so like with kickstarter you have rewards so essentially people are just pre-ordering the record Uh um or you get a copy of the record for their contribution essentially and then you add some people like do extra tiers of the rewards. So then it's like t-shirts or oh, signed okay. albums or up to like, I do house concerts is my like top oh, reward. Nice. And yeah. so people essentially you're fundraising to do the project and you're offering them incentives to um, donate towards the project. And um, the best model for that is just when you're just selling what you want to make, because that's simple doing the extra like backflips and, and acrobats around rewards is so much work for the artist that it just about kills anybody I know to like fulfill the end of the whole thing. So I think we're learning how to do it in a way. And people are also getting on board more to just support things uh, that they believe in without it having to be some over the top, you know, reward. Sure. Um, but yeah, it, it works. And, you have to promote the crowdfunding. Um, Oftentimes like Kickstarter, you set a amount of time that it's going to run. And if you make your goal by the end, you get to keep the money. And if you don't, you don't. So that kind of creates a little excitement and pressure and, you know, you kind of rally your community around this art. And, and so it's a really cool thing. It's pretty, pretty fun. It's also just like a, a lot of work and it's also, you know, it's a little humbling as an artist to put yourself out there in that way and ask for that much support, you know? Yeah. Um, But it gets your community excited and motivated to, uh, you know, bring you along on the, on this journey of creating the, the album or whatever you're putting together. Yeah, it does. And actually does really help promote the, the piece of art as well. Like, cause everyone that has backed it is excited about it and knows about it. So that's, that's valuable too. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned house parties. Um, that seems to be a newer phenomena when it comes to entertainment. And uh, I've been to a couple of those. Those are just always so exciting and fun because they're so intimate. And um, how, how do you how do you find those? And you know, what are your thoughts on that? How do, how do you like doing that versus you know playing at a bar or a, um, a venue of some kind? Um, you know, I, I, I love to play music in any way always, but house concerts are one of my very favorite ways to do it. There's just no, uh, like the way I do it, I don't do any amplification. So it's just a person, it's like people in a room and, and music being shared. And to me, there's like a little bit of a loss of music in, in the home in a casual way. And I feel like it used to be a little more common that people would gather together and sit around the piano and that music was a part of their dinner parties or a part of their evening. Well, right. Live and music. It, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and people, and it wasn't just like, Oh, this one person is going to perform. It was sort of like, let's all sit around the piano and sing some songs. Just jam out. <laughs> yeah. And so I love the element of bringing music back into the home in that way. And and having no microphone or stage between the, the person sharing and the per- people listening and just feels a little more connected. And so there, there are some of my favorite shows. Um, and I love to do it. We have like a model that we 
um, kind of someone, some artist was, was doing house concerts in a tour setting. And um, one of my friends, Bill Chesney, who runs um, Brownlee Press in Grand Rapids, he kind of developed a model for seeking out homes to do house concerts and for people to buy tickets and everything and that we use now. And so that's really oh, fun. Yeah, great. Is that just limited to Grand Rapids or is that something that happens in other communities as well? No, we do it everywhere. He'll kind of put, the way he does it, he puts a call out for houses uh-huh. and there's an application process and then people apply to have the, the concert at their house. And then I um, see. he kind of picks which one looks good and, and then right. we go from there. So it's not just somebody like, oh, I'd love to have this musician come and play at my house for me and my, my good friends. It's more that uh, whoever's sort of offering up their house uh, is going to have strangers coming in to hear you, basically. It's like these sort of pop-up venues. Is that is that a good way to look at it? Yeah, that's the, that's the model that he uses. I, I do it both ways. Um, oh, okay. There are times where people want me to just come play for their friends. and But that puts more financial responsibility on them. And the ticketing system, they have no responsibility financially. Yeah. And there's no money exchanged at the house. It's all ahead of time. So right. it kind of makes it a little less of a, a responsibility for the host, I guess. Right. Well, in a sense, it's a little less responsibility, but the ultimate responsibility, the ultimate financial responsibility is the host. Um, no, (laughs) no. Oh, okay. Not, uh, not in the ticket settings. not in the ticket settings. And I mean, you know, when you're going to go play at someone's house for them, that, yeah. Uh, well, then they they're just hiring. Me yeah. To come yeah. Play at their house. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you, but I kind of I, I like. I the, just did that the other day for a 40th birthday party. Oh, uh, that's it's nice. So fun. And so, as obviously somebody who is a fan, and just loved the idea of having you come to their 40th birthday party. That's, that's it was great. actually it was so sweet. It was a husband surprising his wife. Oh, that is really nice. <laughs> what a great present. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was very cute. But the you know the having these alternative venues in the uh, guise of a uh, of a house concert with tickets being sold and all that it's just you know breaking open the whole paradigm really uh, you know you don't have to have a dedicated setting where there's a, a venue that you know is already in place it's uh, it, it and it often would create a more intimate and special environment to be playing in too do people um, who have these house parties, do they also sometimes have their own technical setups, PAs and, and uh, equipments and things like that? Sometimes people do. I don't use PAs when I do house concerts. Right, because you so, do acoustic and, and just Yeah, just because I, I love that so much. But um, sometimes people that do it regularly, like there's some bigger house concerts where they have PAs and stuff and they... They do it that way, and that's really. It can be really nice if the room is big enough, for sure. Yeah, um, I know you've played at Delivery a couple times. This will be kind of fun having you come there with the full Motivations band and did, nine piece. Did you say that's it's a big? Yep. it's a big group. <laughs> it is a big group, and it's that's part of why we don't play all the time. It's just you know it's a lot of people to take care of and and a lot to put together. But um, it's a great group of guys. Yeah. And are you guys all sort of scattered around? If you're in Traverse City, I think Max is in Grand Rapids. Uh, are the rest of the motivations kind of scattered around? You have to pull everybody together for the yep. various shows? Yeah. So yeah, it makes it hard all, to practice, I bet. They're all scattered. Every single one of them lives 
well, no, there are two in Grand Rapids. I guess we got that going for us. But do you have uh, some center place that you get yourselves ready for shows? We often rehearse in Grand Rapids yeah. um, because we have space there to use, and it's sort of a center point for everybody. It's not, you know, sort of equal. Yeah, it's travel. kind of the middle of the state and all that. Um, and then you do a lot of traveling and, and playing just in your solo capacity, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have, um, you know, do you go all over the country with your with your music? I do. I'm I'm sort of building that. You know, I play, Michigan is my home, and I feel so lucky I play here so much and have so much support from the listeners and community here. Um, but I am trying to have, a, you know, ideally I could tour to different parts of around the country a couple times a year and sort of share my music with those communities as well. And so I'm kind of building that and I just working in Colorado and out East mainly. Um, and those are getting like, you know, good enough that I can, I can do it uh, a little bit, do short runs out there. So I'm, I'm working on it. I, I do travel a lot. Um, I traveled to the UK for a couple of tours oh, cool. last year. Um, so yeah, it's when I can, I, I travel around, but uh, I have a almost six year old daughter and she's going to school. So it I complicates to... things. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it just, Did... it's, it's very grounding in that I, I'm rooted in home and, and that, you know, she's my top priority. So um, it, it does change the way I look at touring and and, make, yeah. and definitely changes some of the decisions I make around that. Do you ever bring her out on the road? I do sometimes. Um, it must be interesting honestly, for her having a grandfather who is a professional musician, a mom who's a professional musician, uh, and like really living that. It, does she have musical interests too? Oh, yeah. She's oh, already... Good. Yeah, probably can't paper. help herself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just happens automatically. Yeah, yeah, she loves to sing, and she's already putting on shows of her own. So, oh, fun. Uh, so, yeah. any other big things coming up? You've got the livery tonight, May early wine, and the motivations at the livery, and um, in, uh, in Benton Harbor, Michigan, uh, and uh, anything else coming up uh, over the next couple months. Well, I am um, kind of just did a big push with the record and um, the the dance parties. I have two other projects coming out that I'm really very excited about. Um, in April, I'm releasing an EP that I did with um, Woody Goss producing from Wolfpack. Um, we recorded in Chicago, and um, it's an EP kind of of slightly more, um, I don't know, band jazz oriented music i don't even know exactly what to call it but um, working with woody was really exciting and his group group of guys there in chicago so that's coming out in april and we're doing just a short run of four shows in michigan um and then after that the sweetwater warblers which is my lady trio with Lindsay Lou and rachel davis um we are releasing um our first full-length record that we recorded in nashville um, and so that, that's really, um, exciting to me. We're going to be playing some shows this summer and then next fall doing a bunch of release shows for it. Um, but the ladies actually are coming in February and we're doing like sort of a Valentine's day tour 
and we won't have the record yet, but we'll, we're uh, going to be doing love songs all over the state. Oh, man, that sounds great. And you just released uh, an album, Second Sight, and that came out in November? Yep, November 1st. Uh, and it looks like you also had an album that came out earlier in 2019 called That's My Home. Um, that was the single from... The, from. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. You know, I'm looking on Spotify, and, uh, <laughs> and they don't always make it really clear how, how things are broken down. But I gotcha. Um, yeah, I thought that having two full <laughs> like albums coming out in one year must have been a tough one. But uh, <laughs> yeah. and then and then I heard this, you know, your breakdown of of what's coming up. This, this is just your solo stuff, second sight, and and then you've got you know your band with the motivations playing tonight, and then uh, with the uh, other other women in your um, in the group that you've got touring. That it's nice that you are able to um, have those sort of different approaches to music and your interest in music. Yeah, I love it. Um, I feel like that kind of diversity of, of different people I'm working with really like my muse and creative self thrives like that. Like I just, I get so excited about the people that I'm going to be playing with or working with that it inspires my writing instantaneously. So it's like that, that's really fun for me. The logistical side of organizing it is a little bit insane. Like I could use help there, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the but the creative part is I love it. You know, I could I could record and write all day long if I had my dithers about it. I would, you know. Right, right. You need uh, you need someone to take care of all that other stuff. But yeah, you probably you know, enjoy you, it. Do you too. know? Do you know anybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, anyway. Um, Really nice talking to you, and looking forward to seeing you tonight at the uh, Livery in Benton Harbor, Mayorly Wine, and the Motivations, and the nine-piece, um, fun, funky kind of dance band stuff. That'll that'll be really just such a blast. And good luck with uh, your new album coming out this this spring, uh, and the tour that you're going to do with. Uh, and remind me of the name, the Warblers. The Sweetwater Warblers. Sweetwater Warblers, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, good talking to you. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. appreciate it. All right. What a pleasure being able to talk with May Early Wine playing tonight at the Livery in Benton Harbor with her band, The Motivations. And uh, I'm going to close out the show with uh, one of her songs here. You're listening to Johnny Secret Stash on Radio Harbor Country, WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan, and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. Johnny Secret Stash is underwritten by Harbor Country Hydroponics out of New Buffalo, Michigan for everything you need to grow your own secret stash. And we're going to close out with May's 2019, November 1st, 2019 um, album Second Sight and the song from that the single that we were just talking about called That's My Home May Early Wine Good night everybody Looking for a reason Why you do the things you do You know you tell me right into You do it's like treason
home, you burn. 